particularly your teaching about the kingdom, Lord God, it, there's a challenge to it. Um, we talk about this upside down kingdom. It confronts some of the ways we intuitively, maybe we've been shaped or encouraged by the culture around us. So Lord, we want to engage our mind to think differently, but also open our heart and our spirit so that we're not just making some kind of mental assent to words, but actually they would be as you intended, the Holy Spirit, there would be seed planted in our life to bring fruit, to bring um, that we would, that would be uh, something we would live into, Lord God, and live out of this world. We thank you for Josh and the way in which he serves us so faithfully in his gifting, Lord God. Empower him now, sustain him uh, as you speak through him, as your servant. Amen. 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 Thank you. I've got to find my son. I'll have the clicker again, actually. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Unless Micah needs it. No. Thanks, Graham. Um, I mentioned uh, in the first service that there was quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of people spoke to me during the week about the message from last week. I think it's the second week that I've preached in quite a long time. It's uh, such a blessing to have so many great preachers and teachers here. Means I get lots of Sundays off. But uh, last Sunday I preached, and there was a lot of positive feedback. And um, I was actually in a really bad way last Sunday. Um, so it was encouraging that it made sense because uh, I, was, I was not in a good place. Uh, it's encouraging because God speaks through his word and uh, means that I feel a little bit less pressure. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're going to uh, continue to, to look at this concept of, of the kingdom this morning. Um, I don't know if you have ever been in this situation or you understand that I'm, uh, this, this kind of thing that I'm going to think explain in a minute. When I think about uh, it, maybe a bit of a high school thing. Uh, grade, I remember girls in my grade at school having conversations if, if like this. this um, uh, if, if this is completely unfamiliar to you, just that, uh, the sort of response in the first service, there was people who were like, I know that moment. It's the moment uh, where uh, you're brushing your hair. That moment's quite a long way behind me. But that moment where you're brushing your hair and you look at your ear and you're like, my ear is a really weird piece of meat. Um, and you just, it's like you become fixated with your ear and you're like is that always on the side of my head because that is such a strange thing and then you realize oh you've actually got uh, a strange thing like that on both sides of your head uh, and it's I think what's going on is it's where there's something that's so familiar that you kind of see it out of context in a moment a little bit like um, maybe you've had a similar uh, thing happen with with a word or with a name. So words can be so meaningful in the right context, but every now and then it's like you'll just turn one particular word over and over in your head and it's like it loses some of its meaning. So uh, with a name, if I just say uh, Graham, 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 uh, <laughs> I didn't pick on you in the first service, um, but it's like... Oh, Graham has so much meaning because it's that guy. But then when I just think about the, the these sounds, <laughs> like grrr, 
<laughs> ham. It's a it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing that this set of sounds corresponds to that person somehow. Do you do you know what I mean? If you just say the same word over and over again, it can lose its meaning. And I think there's something um, that I'm going to speak to you about this morning. Uh, maybe because uh, this little bit of scripture that we're going to look at, this bit of Jesus's teaching, has just kind of been on rote in uh, and repeat in a part of your growing up. Maybe you went to Catholic school and uh, when you did something wrong, the priest said, go and say this 10 times. Maybe you've sat in the toilet on church camps and there's been a kind of kitschy little carving with some hands and these words. Of course, I'm talking about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That thing, even just the way that I said that, you know what I'm talking about. But Jesus wouldn't have taught his disciples to pray that prayer, to pray in that way, if it wasn't meaningful. Uh, as weird a word as Graham is, it's really meaningful to me. It has. What does it actually mean, Graham? Like apart from you? Let's say Mighty Warrior. Uh, <laughs> most names mean that, don't they? Um, Princess of the Meadow. Prin- pri- <laughs> really? <laughs> Princess of the Meadow. It, it does mean wa- does mean warrior. Oh, Muriel. It is a warrior, there you go, of course. A warrior princess of the meadow. (laughs) So the name in itself has meaning. The name has meaning to us because we've got this great person in our life called Graham. Where we do that thing and make it meaningless by repeating it, it's not about the name not having meaning. It's about the context, right? And I'd venture to say the same is true of the Lord's Prayer. So what's going on, and the Lord's Prayer comes up uh, in, in the Gospels. I'm going to look at Luke's Gospel today. What goes on in Luke's Gospel is Jesus' disciples come to him. He's praying, it says, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel. Uh, he's praying in a certain place, and when he is finished... Uh, one of his disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. So John's got disciples. There's something significant about the way that his disciples are praying. Jesus' disciples observe that prayer is an important part of his life, of what he's doing. They're Jews, so it's not a strange idea, but they go and they say, how should we pray, Jesus? And Jesus says this. When you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive those who sin against us. I'm going to make a little comment on on why there might be a variation there. But... You know the line, we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. And that's what Luke says, that Jesus says about how his disciples should pray. So let's have a bit of a look at this prayer. Begin at when you pray. Pray, Father. 
Father. Now, maybe you've heard it preached, and it's a really good message. That what's beautiful about calling God Father is it indicates something of a familiarity with God. That God is close to us, that he's open to us, that he loves us. And that's true, and, that's great. and that, is, that is a good message. I'd love to preach that message. That is definitely there. One of the things that commentators have noted is that while there is some precedent in the Old Testament in, in Israel's scriptures for calling God Father, it's not a major feature. It, it happens a few times in the Psalms. But for Jesus, and maybe you know this if you've read your New Testament at all, it is the main way that he addresses God. So it's important. And it goes beyond just how we understand the Trinity, right? When Jesus is calling God Father, in Hebrew culture, he's not just speaking to the fact that God is familiar and God is open and that God loves him. He's not just speaking about who God is. He is also speaking about who he is. And then when he is teaching his disciples to also pray Father, he is speaking about who we are when we pray to God and call him Father. See, in Hebrew, it's kind of idiom. It's an expression we say that some say Father, but it could be mother or it could be son or daughter. It's kind of like saying you are like this. You might remember that some of Jesus' disciples were called the sons of thunder. There was something about their characteristic that was thunderous. So instead of just calling him thunderous James and John, they called them the sons of thunder. It's like saying that someone is the son of evil or someone is the son of smelly spaghetti sauce. Uh, that, that's probably what I was the son of in our house. But, you know, families have a certain culture, right? If it was that way in our family's culture, we ate a lot of garlic. So when pe people came to stay at our house, they went home smelling like the son of Charles and Chris because Chris made really tasty spaghetti sauce with more garlic than lots of people. But I smelt like Charles, garlicky Charles, <laughs> stinky Charles. It was even more exaggerated. <laughs> he was the son of garlic before me. Um, but it was even more exaggerated in Jesus' culture, right? Because if you were the son of someone, you had the same trade as them, you were eating the same food as them, probably more than we eat the same food as our parents. You had the same turns of phrase and expressions as your parents. Probably even lived under the same roof as your parents. So be, like, be the son of someone just to really be like great relationship with God. But I am like God. And in fact, the Gospels go further. And Luke in particular, where he says, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. And that's a big part of why Jesus uses that father language. Because it gets confusing, actually, when you think about the Trinity, when they're like, oh, begotten, not made oh dear pearly had a tumble uh it's not like i mean it's a really important thing for christians that god the father didn't exist before god the son what's going on there is that jesus is kind of saying if you want to know what god's like look at the son of god because <laughs> the son of god is like god the father and by extension then when we say father we're saying by faith, we are one like.
the Father. God, by faith, I want to be recognisable as part of your family. So it's doubly good, isn't it? He loves you. He sees you, but actually he's adopted you into his family. But actually, you become means you stepping in that space where you're going, yeah, my identity, let it come from you. Father. Father. Hallowed be your name. Funny word, hallowed. But it's really connected to the word holy. It means to make holy. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how I grew up. And I was aware... Uh, I'd been given the impression, I don't even really know where, I made a joke that it wasn't from my mum and dad because they never confused me. Um, But somehow I picked up this idea that one of the worst things that you could do is take the Lord's name in vain, right? Um, And to take the Lord's name in vain is to, instead of saying one swear word, just say Jesus or God instead. But actually, the more that I've read scripture and gone into this, what I've realized is what taking the Lord's name in vain really is, and there's some teaching in scripture about this, is when God is represented. And you know who God It's not people who use his name as a swear word. It's people who say that he's their father, he's their God, and they go around doing things that are not... <laughs> in his nature, that are not reflective of who he is. You might remember my message last week, where it's like the people that Jesus is most cranky at are the religious people that say they know God, that say they represent God, and completely misrepresent him. So, actually, it's not about necessarily what passes our lips uh, when we drop a hammer on our toe. It's about our everyday walking around life do we look like a son or daughter of god or are we like that bad employee or that friend who betrays you right i've sent you out to do a job and you say oh my boss doesn't really care i do care i want you to do a good job or the friend right you know who 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 badmouths you that is so much more damaging Anyway, her enemy who goes, oh, I never kissed for Andrew anyway. Well, he's the son. No, he smells funny. Well, he's the son. Hear what I'm saying? To, to take the, the Lord's name in vain is our problem <laughs> if we're children of God. And so we are about seeing that God's name is holy again. Again, by faith, we're stepping into that place where we're like, God, I know I sully your name, actually. May your name be holy again set apart when people hear it may it be free of those things which corrupt the love that comes from it the goodness of who you are more harm comes from the kingdom comes to the kingdom from those who misrepresent it than those outside it who say nasty things about it your kingdom come So as Jesus is teaching his disciples this prayer and he says, pray to your father, may your kingdom come. He is the representation of that kingdom in their midst. I mean, he is the king. What means subject to that king? Well, 
what was that king's rule like? Across the course of this series, we've seen how the gospel writers frame the story of what Jesus came to do so that the moment of Christ's coronation, of the kind of consolidation of his kingdom, is his elevation on the cross. The power of the kingdom of God is that the king of the universe would lay his power aside, lay his life down, self-sacrificially, generously give it all away for the sake of love, even of his enemies. So for God's kingdom to come then is not the establishment of some earthly government. It's not whether the ALP finally sorts out their politics and reflects the church's values or the LNP does. It's when those who are God's children, not just subjects of the kingdom, but live co-heirs in the kingdom, live by the kingdom values in the way that Christ has. His power, it is the power that shames the powers of this world, the scripture says, is when he says, I'm giving away because I love you. I'm not getting into a fight with you. You can kill me. I'm going to give it all to you. So, of course, Christians can go into politics, maybe for any party, I'm not sure, but not unless they're living subject to a king whose coronation is when he lays his life down in love. There's not many things <laughs> that are going to be sort of off limits as a job or an occupation if you do it that way. Of course, there'll be some. There'll be some. Might even be, pastor might be one of them. Um, but to be subject of the kingdom, first and foremost, is to let Christ rule in our life. And how does he rule? He lays his life down. Just give us this day as a daily bread. No, there is a word in give me daily bread, but he doesn't because our identity is corporate. And so everything that we do as children of the king, not just subjects who have a kingdom enforced upon us, but children of the king who own the agenda of the kingdom, whose very identity and life is wrapped up in the kingdom, together we pray that God will provide for our needs. Daily, of course, speaks to um, a relationship of trust for provision. So it, it conjures up image, images of uh, the people of Israel in the desert, doesn't it? Where something happened when they just trusted God day by day. Where the anchor of our security is in the fact that we are children of the God of the universe who has no shortage of resource. And so we can live our lives open-handedly, generously, without worry for what will come tomorrow because our Father daily feeds us. Maybe recognising a problem that sneaks in when it gets a better or more than that. And of course you read that in the Exodus story. But they tried to keep more. There were some problems. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Jesus makes this a part 
of the pattern of prayer for his disciples, for subjects of the kingdom, children of the king. Where we would pray, Father, I want to represent you well. I want to be identifiable with you. Where we would pray, God, may your name be holy. Forbid that I would sully it somehow. Where we would pray, your kingdom come in my life first. Where we would pray, give us our daily bread. We would also acknowledge that at times we fall short, don't we? And that's actually the Greek term for sin. It means to miss the mark. We miss the mark on these things. As much as we might step into this prayer every day and occupy this and claim this and hope to live this out, we miss the mark. So we say, God, forgive. What's interesting here, and I did tell you I'd mention this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So depending on your translation of the Bible, depending on the version of this prayer that you might have memorised, you might read this a little bit differently, but actually the word that Luke uses is indebted to us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And what translators of the Bible have done even in some of the very early manuscripts, is they've sometimes tweaked these words, but it seems like the best versions have indebted. And I think um, sometimes they're generally trying to be helpful to us. They'll go, well, indebted is weird. If we're talking about sin and then we change it to debt, that's just going to confuse people. But actually, when you read Luke's Gospel closely, indebted makes be out of sense. What does Jesus say when he begins our ministry? He gets up in the synagogue and he reads Isaiah and he's upon us, right? To proclaim good news to the poor and to set the captives free. See, what Luke knows as he's hearing Jesus speak and as he's processing it, as he's writing it those years after, is that for God, there is not a separation between sin and the wages of it. In this world and actually God is very concerned with liberation Jesus's project is liberation the Jews understood what God was doing in terms of liberation from slavery right he took them from Egypt and made them free people they understood what Jesus was doing as liberation from the slavery of sin and death and so Luke is mining into that there. There's a guy who I think understands the Gospel of Mark just about as well as anybody going around today. And he says this. There was a form, his name's Joel Green, a form of enslavement that was built into the fabric of Jewish culture world. It was a pervasive ethic whereby favours done for others constituted a relationship that was characterised by a cycle of repayment and debt. This system condoned the widespread exercise of coercive power by some people over other people. And so the prayer that Jesus teaches his followers embodies the urgency of giving without expectation of return. That is, Jesus is ripping the fabric of the patronage system, which 
by getting his disciples to treat others as their brothers and sisters and as their family rather than as people who are of greater or lesser importance than themselves. So that's what the Jubilee thing was about, that Jesus was saying he was coming to bring in. He was saying, I'm cancelling the debt. I'm freeing you from slavery. I'm cancelling the debt. And that's not just in some sort of metaphysical sense. I'm cancelling the debt of your sin. He's like, you're free. I want to free people. I want a kingdom of children subjects from all about, about the cancellation of debt. For Luke... And I think for most of the gospel writers, I think we, this is one of the things that uh, got a little bit obscured in the last 500 years of Christian history. Those things are really connected. Interestingly, our sins and their forgiveness before God and the sins of people in our lives against us are connected too, aren't they? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us or who have sinned against us. And this isn't to say that God um, will only forgive our sins once we've forgiven other people's sins. It's actually the flip of that. Jesus is creating a culture of people who, because they are forgiven, become forgivers. And actually, if we do not forgive, we don't get the kingdom. <laughs> We're missing out on something. The, the, the kingdom is somehow lost on us if we are not forgiving people. I'm going to get that because we'll bring it to a close. Just a note on this temptation thing. Almost uh, that last point's the big one, I think. Because we're forgiven, we need to be forgivers. The kingdom of God is one that brings forgiveness and freedom. We've got to be about that too. This note about um, temptation is a strange one because actually temptation is, is a part of what it means to be human. In fact, actually if you think in Jesus' journey, temptation was a big thing that he had to go through. There is no way around trial and temptation as Christians. I know that you guys know that. <laughs> it might uh, be nice if we could avoid it, but it seems we can't. And just reading a little deeper into this, it seems like what Jesus is saying, there is a, a temptation which can cause us to rely on our own strength the sense that we need to kind of prove ourselves in the face of temptation. And that trap, Jesus, where we know, where we can know by the temptation, we come by the power of God to kind of raise ourselves up and assert ourselves and do things in our own strength. And we find ourselves in some problematic territory. And so Jesus is saying, just pray that you stay in that sweet spot with God. You recognise, yep, you're sinful. We've prayed it already. But with God's help, we can continue to occupy the place which this prayer calls us to occupy.
Could I get you to stand as we bring it to a close? Because I think this is a prayer for, for every day, actually. And maybe you've prayed this prayer or you've thought about this prayer in a way that means it seemed a bit dead, it stopped making sense, it's kind of hollow words or vain repetition. That's not about this prayer. It's just about the way that you've prayed it or been taught to pray it. It's probably not even your fault. But I think there's power in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And maybe it just requires that you mix up the way that you pray it. To wait. We're going to have go of us this morning. Father, what a wonderful thing that you love us, that you are open to us, that you adopt us, that we can come to you, Father. Father, help us to truly reflect who you are. Help us to be better at being your sons and daughters so that when people see us, they do see you. Lord, we're sorry for the way that we have maybe sullied your name. Sorry for the ways we may have taken your name in vain. Hallowed be your name, Father. When people hear your name, may the experience that can with it be love, grace and mercy. Your goodness. May your King come, Lord, in our lives. To the King, us to be His subjects of a King who gave His life away for us to give our lives away for love as well. Provide for us, we pray. Help us not to be greedy. Help us to trust in you and live generously. Forgive us in the many ways we don't live up to these things. Help us to forgive others so that your kingdom grows, this kingdom of cancelled debt, this kingdom of freedom from slavery. May we free others as we live freely because of your love. Lord, help us not to come into situations where we make it about what we can do, what we're right about, what we can achieve in our strength. Help us to rely on you. I want to challenge you to pray this prayer daily, at least for a week, I think a lifetime would be better. We're going to worship some. God, hear our prayer.